and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Tim Stack. Now Tim is an actor, screenwriter, comedian, best remembered for Son of the Beach, Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. We talk about Nightstand, which I absolutely love that show and why you cannot find it on any of the streaming sites. We talk about how he got a start in the business, he worked with the Groundlings, brief spot on Saturday Night Live, talk about the rest of his career. Some of it I left out and we're gonna have to get Tim back on. He was on Seinfeld, he played Dwayne, who was addicted to sugar. Kramer helped him get off of it. Memorable guest spot on My Name is Earl, which he wrote for as well. Tim, very funny guy, Yankee fan as well, which is great. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. All right, so Tim, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Um, I normally don't listen to like other podcasts that have guests I want to talk to, but by total coincidence, I heard your spot on the uh, Duty Calls podcast. Uh-huh, yes. And uh, yeah, I was uh, hysterical laughing on the train and on a subway, and it caused me to trip up the stairs of the uh, subway station going to work. But um, one of my... Uh, I guess my favorite stories, I, I love your, your, I don't want to really give any stories away, but anyone listens, listening to this, listen to the Duty Calls podcast, especially Tim's one, because he has a couple of great stories of an avocado field and uh, yeah, and going to uh, France on exchange. It's so uh, funny, the France thing just came up yesterday because um, I saw a woman who I know is off to France for the summer, and right. she said, and she, I said, where are you going? She goes, Normandy, and I went, oh, do you know the town of Enfleur? And she said, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and it is a beautiful town. I just, uh, I did not make it beautiful in 1976. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, so I, all those, you never heard back from the family, right? After writing all those letters, huh? No, I never heard back. I just can't imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For the, a quick version of the story for your audiences, <laughs> I went to France as a 16-year-old and was told not to drink tap water and the family kept giving me bottled water with it i assume and it turned out they were actually filling a bottle with tap water so i got horrendously active diarrhea i mean <laughs> to the point where i could take a bite and you know i could probably scan it as it just went instantly through my body right. and out and to the point where my last day there it just explodes into my underwear and pants and there the car is waiting for to take me to the airport <laughs> and and i don't know what to do with this underwear and they had french windows because they were in france and i threw them it was a field across the driveway <laughs> and i threw the underwear and i always describe it as like a john hughes shot where we're following the underwear and it catches on the limb of a tree and now it's hanging over them in the driveway. They're in the driveway below, and it's hanging over them. So as I'm driving away, I look back and wave, and the last thing I see is the family waving goodbye and this horrific underwear <laughs> hanging maybe four feet above their heads, ready to drive. I can't, I thank God it was before cell phones because right. I know the minute I left that underwear dropped and they were just like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, that's the uh, France story. Yeah. So, no, no, I never heard from them again. Right. I can imagine. Well, I'm surprised that they didn't like smell it, like hovering above. Oh, them. I don't know what they did. I, <laughs> uh, you know, I just can't imagine. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. If, if your house gets left, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and that's the present he left you. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, we, we've all had stories like that, but um, I, uh, my story, I guess not as bad, but it's kind of memorable because uh, I was working at ESPN at the time, and I was covering the uh, Yankees-Marlins World Series, and been to Yankee Stadium, you know, countless times, big Yankee fan, but I was never on the field at, Yank- at the old Yankee Stadium. And we were there hours before we had to do our show. So I go walk around the fields and eventually land in the bullpen. And the bullpen back then is a lot smaller. You know, the amenities are, you know, not as nice as the, as the new one, but they did have a, a toilet because they're not anywhere near the clubhouse. So the first thing I did was you know, make my uh, presence known in the Yankee bullpen toilet. (laughs) See, if I was, that was me, I would have used the toilet. The toilet would not have worked. (laughs) Right. And as I'm walking out to tell somebody doesn't work, Mariano Rivera is walking in. That's, that's what would have happened. If that bowel movement had come, had come out of me, but anyway, that's really funny. Right, and yes, stuff the toilet, end up, you know, he slips, pulls a groin, he can't pitch that night. You know? That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was funny because there was like a single bat lying in the bullpen, so I was like curious, like, all right, you know, pick it up, see what it is, and it was uh, the relief pitcher Ramiro Mendoza's bat. Yeah, sure. I remember yeah, that. exactly. And for, for you know, if listeners don't know, he was a relief pitcher, Spot's daughter in the 90s, early 2000s. So it's kind of interesting that it was just his bat lying there. And I was so tempted just to, like, take it. But I'm sure, you know, old Ramiro would have missed it, you know, for his potential one at bat in the World Series. Yeah. <laughs> he, he yeah. might get in trouble, too. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't worth it. But um, you, you're a Yankee fan who grew up. I am a Yankee fan. Yeah, near Philadelphia. How did that happen? Because my dad um, grew up in New York, my parents did, and well, up in just above in Stamford, Connecticut. And but he, you know, was a diehard Yankee fan, okay. you know, from a kid, like in the, you know, Babe Ruth kind of Lou Gehrig. He saw them all play, and and um, so he moved. We moved. Um, I don't think I was not born yet, but we moved down to the Philadelphia area so he could start his business, okay. which was office equipment is long before staples and all that stuff. Right. So he, he made a, you know, not a rich living, but a nice living in that business. And um, so, but he hate, he never liked the city of Philadelphia. And to be honest, the city of Philadelphia was a dump back then. <laughs> right. I mean, I liked it yeah, because I had friends, you know, and, and I, I liked it, but it was a dump. And he was from New York, and my mother and they went to plays, and, and you know, they were sort of cosmopolitan in their own way. And But he was a diehard Yankee fan, so he would only take us to Yankee, game, Yankee games. Right. And we, would, and we would invariably go every year to the old-timers game, because he – and back then, it was old Yankees versus, like, old – icons from baseball like he was so excited because one day he had never gotten to see hank greenberg play okay so 
this was his chance. Like Hank Greenberg was brought in to play against the Yankees. Anyway, so we would go see the old timers game every year. We would always go on that day. And then usually one other game per year. Uh, but always, like if I ever went to Yank to the old Connie Mack Stadium in Philadelphia, it was with somebody else's father. Okay. Like he would never take he us there. Go. I think we went once. I'm getting way off on baseball now. It's I all think right. <laughs> we went once because he had gotten free tickets. But for those baseball fans listening, it was an incredible night. It was 1965, and the Phillies were out of it. They were playing the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were in the hunt for the pennant. And Sandy Koufax came in to save a game. Wow! In the ninth inning, so that was I got to see that. That was very cool. That's uh, one of my best memories. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I lived in Stanford, Connecticut for a few years as well. Oh, from working at ESPN? Yeah. I, um, well, I, I live in Connecticut now, but it was funny. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I lived in Bristol, which ESPN is located for a couple of years, and it's that place is just an absolute shithole. They, basically, they right. say the best view of Bristol is in your rearview mirror, and that is yeah. so true. But yeah, what, That's like uh, a twist on the joke. I, I'm dropping names here, but I heard uh, Randy Quay way back when, when he was sane, right. <laughs> said the, the best thing to come out of Houston is Interstate 10. It's sort of the same joke. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It, it, it was funny because the only, I, I, when I lived in Bristol, there was like this apartment complex, and ha- half of it was ESPN employees, and the other half were basically out mental patients, you can say. Right. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. So, and the joke was, you can never tell which one is the mental patients, which ones are the ESPN employees. So, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you leave uh, Pennsylvania and you head out west. Uh, was being an actor or a comedian was always that always your goal? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I, I went to Boston College out of high school and then um, sort of like just. You know, Saturday Night Live was big then, starting then, and I just sort of, yeah, and I toyed around with stand-up a little bit in college, like right. I had a bad routine about having a small penis, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I just got the bug, and and um, saw an improv group in Boston called The Proposition, and realized like that's I think I'd be good at that that's what I want to do and so when I graduated I moved to New York I was gonna maybe go to grad school and then I realized I was sort of chickening out I got accepted to a couple places good programs and I realized I'm I'm just I'm putting it I'm putting the obvious on the back burner I need to attack it so I moved to New York and sort of nothing was really going on in New York this is 1970 879 and I got a good job tending bar and and then I just started like trying to create stuff on my own and my, the first thing I did was um, one of the things I did was I wrote to Second City in Chicago I was like can I take a class there and they wrote back like we don't offer classes but they did so maybe <laughs> okay. I said something in the <laughs> right. letter that yeah. they didn't want me because that would have been a logical place for me to go. Right. And, and that's, you know, and so many people from Second City have done well in show business. Uh, it just seems like a great place. And um, so I had done a play in Boston at BC, at Boston College, called Moon Children. And it was based on, it, 
it was like um it was a bunch of college kids in the 60s who were living in a house off campus so it's like you know they're going to demonstrations and stuff and at the time happy days was really big and i thought that's kind of an interesting idea for a tv series like now we're going to go to the 60s from the 50s and happy days right and my my one of my teachers a guy named arnie reisman who was later he actually he got an academy award nomination for his documentary about blacklisting my senior year in college which was pretty cool um he was actually one of the characters in the play was based on him so he put me in touch with the author this guy michael michael weller who had a really good career wrote you know some big plays and and i think he wrote the screenplay for hair and anyway he, he was and i said can i can i try to sell this as a tv series i had no idea what i was doing. yeah so he said yeah sure go ahead so i put together a treatment again i have no idea what i'm doing right and i sent it to a bunch of people in hollywood and one of the guys here stanford connecticut coming back was a guy who was the husband of mary tyler moore his name was grant tinker who okay. was from stanford okay and somehow my parents knew like his sister and also one of my best friends from high school his dad was a fraternity brother of grant tinker in college. So I just write a letter to Grant Tinker. I write a letter to a bunch of people, Norman Lear, and, yeah. and you always get the obligatory, we do not take unsolicited material right. and blah, blah, blah. Next thing I know is I get a call from, and I don't know the name, I don't, I can't remember the name he's called, but like Grant Tinker wants me to read for a new TV series. Like, yeah, that sounds <laughs> great. So I go to the, um, I go to the audition, and the guy who called was, his name was Bruce Paltrow, and he was Gwyneth Paltrow's father. He right. has since passed away. And at the time, he had a TV series on called The White Shadow. Yep. But he was doing a new show that at that time was called ER, but it went on to become St. Elsewhere. So I read for the part that Howie Mandel eventually got, and... I did the audition and Bruce Patrick said, you're, you're good. You're good. You should move to LA. And I went, well, yeah, I don't know. I just got an apartment and which back then finding an apartment in New York was impossible. And I got an apartment and I, I had this really good bartending job at the Lone Star Cafe. And I don't know. I was just like, uh. and then two weeks later, Grant Tinker calls himself. And it was sort of like, you know, Zeus calling from down from the heavens. Right. And so I just, I did it. I moved it. I packed up a car. I bought a car and I packed it up and I moved to LA and I didn't know anybody. Um, I had a cousin who sort of lived out way out beyond Pasadena. So I stayed with her for a couple of nights and then that was it. I moved into town and, and, uh, um, I've told the story before. If you want to hear the only person I knew when I moved to LA was a Coke dealer <laughs> And, but, and I, and I never did cocaine. I was just uh, not, not my thing. Right. And he said to me, um, do you want to go to a party on Saturday night? I said, I just read about this place called the groundlings and I bought a ticket and I'm going to go see it. So I go to the groundlings and that was truly like a religious experience for me. Like I saw the groundlings and I said, this is what I wanted. Like, this is what I want. So then I go to the party afterwards and who's at the party but 
Phil Hartman. Okay. Who I had just seen. You know, I had just seen Paul Rubens as Pee Wee and Edie McClurgan. Just an mm-hmm. incredible night. And I was just blown away. And I said, introduced myself to Phil Hartman. I just saw the show. And he, you know, gave me the number of the guy to call to get into a class. And, and he called the guy. Anyway, that's how I got into the Groundlings. And that's sort of. I made the Groundlings my home for you know many years, and that, and I, I just credit the Groundlings with you know whatever career I have. It's 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 because of them. Right. So besides like Phil and like Edie McClure, who else was in that uh, that year? At that well, the company when I joined was Paul Rubin, uh, Cassandra Peterson, who oh, played Elvira. Elvira. Right. Um, there was a guy in the company who I always call the funniest Groundling because. Within the space of the Groundlings, nobody got bigger less. I mean, Phil was sort of brilliant. I mean, right. he was off on a world all of his own. But this guy, John Paragon, um, you know, pound for pound, laugh for laugh, like just crazy the laughs he would deliver inside the Groundlings. And then, you know, had an okay career outside of there, but inside the Groundlings, he was sort of the star of the Groundlings. And then... Um, and Paul and a woman named Phyllis Katz was super talented. And then, you know, as time marches on, you know, John Lovitz came in, who was a neighbor of mine and Kathy Griffin. And, and so and then the place just goes on, you know, and then you move on and great people come in behind. Lisa Kudrow, I think, was just okay. coming in as I was leaving. And uh, Will Farrell, I think the same thing. So it's just a, an incredible you know mall of talent that place right so then like after you left like what what was your goal like did you want to just be an actor or you more like write yeah, sketches well, what like what was like the plan was, i started writing weirdly i came up with an idea for a tv movie and and i somehow got it sold uh through a guy i met um and he introduced me to robert conrad if you remember okay. robert conrad yes. the actor and one of my really good friends, uh, a guy named Larry Williams, who was a pretty successful writer, I knew they wouldn't buy it for me, but if I bought it from, if I brought Larry, and so Larry, and we always enjoyed working with each other, um, he and I sold this TV movie, and, and that sort of got me in the door of writing, like, so for years I was sort of a actor-writer, and then over the years that has slowly reversed uh, where I became a writer, actor, like way on the back burner. <clears throat> but now I just started um, acting again. I did a Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I, I did a web, a weird web series that's going to be aired. And um, so I'm just starting to get back into that, which and it was really fun. Like the Curb Your Enthusiasm I did was really, really fun. I forgot how fun and easy acting is. Right. So and those people were great. Oh, good. Yeah, that that show is unbelievable. So can't wait for that to come back. Yeah, Larry David couldn't be nicer. He couldn't be nice. He just wanted to talk about golf. And um, it's just a very relaxed place to work. And you're given total like, yeah, just try anything you want. See if it works. And and, uh, yeah. And Richard Lewis was there, who I knew a little bit. uh, I can't talk about. I'm not allowed to talk about the episode. Of course, yeah. Um, But... um, it's it's really really funny uh, this Richard Lewis bit that uh, I'm a part of. Oh so. great, yeah, looking forward to it. But like like when you started, you were like guest starring on like every show possible. I mean, it, yeah, that's sort of how it goes. Yeah. You you uh, you work your way up to a guest star, and then 
you know, you get a little buzz about you. And then I got a series in 1983. They were doing a summer series. We only did six episodes, but my God, was it beyond fun and beyond my dreams, you know, to be part of a series. It was called Reggie with Richard Mulligan. It was a really great cast. Uh, Barbara Barry was in it and Chip Zion, who's a great Broadway actor, and Tim Busfield, who's had a great career. Uh, Jean Smart, did I say her? I mean, no, she's had yeah, she, she... an incredible career. And and it was it was just so much fun. It only lasted six weeks, and it was, you know... But my God, it was it was so much fun. And then you just sort of, you know, you do pilots, you hope mm -hmm. they go. And, and then I got, you know, all through the 80s, I had my Saturday Night Live experience, which was not great. But again, I kept going and, and um, uh, eventually got on a show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Right. And that was really, really fun and really, really easy. And I said to my wife at the time, I said, it's never going to be this easy and lucrative at the same time. So we, I said, we always wanted to move to Santa Barbara and have our kids grow up in a semi-normal town. Mm -hmm. And so we moved and I said, we'll figure it out when I get there. And, and it got us up to Santa Barbara. And that was just a great experience. And I'm still really friendly with not just the, some of the actors on the show, but a bunch of the writers. And, and that was a great experience. And then... You know, you just go back to it. But the thing that happened, am I talking too much or is this okay? Oh, no, go right ahead, yeah. Okay. What happened after Parker Lewis, and, and I owe uh, my friend Barry Finero, who had a great writing career, won Emmys for Golden Girls, right. who I met at the Groundlings. <clears throat> uh, what happened after Parker Lewis was he called me and he said, um, we have a pilot. Uh, we want you for this part. And I said, that sounds great. He had a new deal over at Disney and, and – uh, and he explained it. it was sort of a Barney Miller, but maybe a little crazier. And I said, that sounds great. And then he, he literally calls me back 10 minutes later. And he goes, you're not going to believe this. Uh, NBC said you were old news. Oh, wow. And that's that's a really bad thing to be told in Hollywood. Right. And so I realized... I got to do something quickly. So what I did was I quickly wrote a spec Seinfeld. Okay. And I got it to a guy named Dave Duclon who was running Family Matters at the time. I was just like anybody who I worked for who liked me as an actor, I said, hey. Um, and literally I was writing letters at this point. You know, this is way yeah. back before email. Uh I said, you know, like, Dave, I just wrote the script. I, 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 you know, would love to make a move into writing because I had two kids and I was like, oh, my God. And also, I kind of knew that if you're new in any aspect of Hollywood, you're you're hot. I'm putting hot in quotes. Right. So sure enough, I he offers me a job on this uh, show called On Our Own, which um Jussie Smollett, who was in the news right. recently, was on the show. His whole family was on the show, was the stars of the show. And I was, I got in the room, and I think because of all the grounding experience, I was pretty good in the room. And suddenly I like, I think that got back to some people, and I got a writing agent mm -hmm. right away. And, and I just assumed, okay, this is it. I'll be a sitcom writer. You know, I'll make this work. And this is... 
good and I enjoyed it. I didn't like it as much as acting because acting is so easy and yeah. fun. You're just goofing around. Um, and in writing, you have to think. Um, but I, 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 in that year, somehow, and I don't know how we did it, because I never thought it would sell, but we sold the show Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. Right, right. And that got me back into uh, performing. I was just, I was fine. I was like, mm. I'm not going to do it again. And it got me back into performing. And then that show, you know, was the first time I, you know, was a star of a show. And I'd sold a show that I had co-created. And, and it was a really incredible moment when you're, you get the nod from somebody who says, okay, your show's on the air. Like, and what I've sort of done since then, you know, with some of the beats with Howard Stern and, and is, is tried to sell shows that I had, you know, that I would star in and, and also be in. Right. And then that sort of went away. And then I just went, you know, but I, one of the guys I met on our own was Greg Garcia. We remained friends and, and my, he name brought me Earl, in on right? my name is Earl and raising hope. And, 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 you know, it's just been a great, friend and and weirdly though know, he's uh 15 years younger than i am just a great teacher like right uh so anyway that sort of brought us semi up to date of my career right okay yeah so i'm just gonna you know take a couple pieces for, from that um sure yeah i guess we'll start um i, I guess i'm gonna mention you, you wrote the seinfeld spec what was that about like what was the whole plot uh, the premise, as best I can remember, because it was a while ago, right. but basically the premise was that, and this was back when there were those um, 811, what were the 977 numbers, the dirty talk numbers? I wouldn't know you anything know, like about phone that. Sets. Yeah, no, yeah, no, of course, yeah. <laughs> so uh, basically Kramer gets a job doing phone sex. Right. And because I just thought it'd be so funny, like his voice, like, you know, yeah. talking sexy to some girl. Yeah. Uh, and somehow George thinks he'd be really good at it. <laughs> and Kramer gets him a job. Um, and he's horrible at it and right. ends up causing disarray in the office and people hate him. And and then I can't remember what there was a, a story with Jerry that I can't remember, but. The fun part for me was the Kramer, the nine seven six number. Right, and then yeah, they actually like in one of the episodes he was addicted to those numbers. So oh, I don't remember that. Oh yeah, yeah, he he was calling what it turned out to be Jerry's girlfriend, but Jerry didn't know that she worked for one of those numbers. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, but I think I wrote this. I wrote this just as Seinfeld was sort of becoming a hit. Right. Like. And I can remember the episode. For me, it was the Aunt Manya episode where... With the pony? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching this show totally by accident. I happened to flip it on. Right. And there weren't as many shows then, obviously. Yeah. And I can remember laughing like, oh my God, is this show funny. And... I knew Larry David, like I was shocked because I had seen Larry David like in the mid 70s at right. the improv in New York, tell audiences to F off and walk <laughs> off the stage. And, right. And he'd been on Fridays. He was yeah. kind of funny on Fridays. So it was like, oh my God, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David created this. And 
And I remember calling my friend from the Groundlings, Lynn Stewart, who you might know as Missy Vaughn or yes. uh, Charlie's mom on Sunny in Philadelphia, you know. Right. And she was played Ellen the lesbian on Son of the Beach. I called her and I said, have you seen this show Seinfeld? And she said, it's so funny. And another guy from the Groundlings had just called her and said, you got to see this show Seinfeld. Anyway, so I think I wrote it pretty quickly then. So I'm not surprised that eventually they got around to uh, their own 976. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, it was the uh, the Bookman episode. I think that got me hooked. Yeah. yeah great. That, yeah. That, that was classic. But yeah, you actually guest starred playing Dwayne, you know, <laughs> selling eyeglasses. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a really, uh, really funny episode. I, it never makes like the top 20 list, but when... When I see people or talk to people, they're just like, oh, my God, Dwayne the Optometrist. We love that episode. Yeah. Kramer got you off sugar. It's really funny. My favorite moment in the episode is when uh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus thinks she has rabies and she's with the water foaming, foaming out of the yeah. mouth with soda water. It's really funny. That always makes me laugh. Yeah. She, she, the physical comedy, she's, like, so underrated, too, with that. And, you know, just watching Veep, it just shows you she's, yes. like, one of the comedic legends. It's, it really is. And you know what's interesting? I had seen her on a show. She did a show before Seinfeld. Like day, day by day? Or... I, I, yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Because I knew those husband and wife, the creators, okay. and I watched And she was really funny on the show. Right. And I know her a little bit because they live or they have a house here in Santa Barbara. Um, and I remember talking to her about like one of my favorite lines from that show she uttered somebody was talking about mother Teresa, and she played a hateful character on the show right yeah she did yeah and and her line was ugh somebody has to tell that woman about moisturizer <laughs> so that, that was so funny yeah yeah and she was also uh they gave uh nick from family ties his own show and they i think she was on the pilot episode the, the show didn't get you're picked. right yeah it didn't get picked up but yeah so i i had a uh, scott valentine who played nick on and you were just talking about that show but that's funny yeah but um, um yeah she's it's not unironic i you know that that she has gone on to have an incredible career post seinfeld um you know where you know on on the show and i'm not putting in jason alexander could not be a nicer guy he right. was nice enough to do son of the beach but you know it's like she's had two really successful and she just got more emmy nominations yes. today shows um you know and and kramer and george are not that they haven't had good careers but you know what i'm saying it's just like oh, no. oh my god yeah. she's she, you know she's I, I, on a whole other level right and you know she even had a couple other shows i like, think was it a Christine knew eventually well, Christine, which which was pretty yeah, no, good. Yeah, that was a good show. Yeah, that was a really well done show. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, she's you know definitely had more success than the other two, and but uh, yeah, she's she's absolutely brilliant. But um, another show which uh, I guess they're gonna there's reportedly gonna be remade is Punky Brewster. Punky I, I Brewster. Heard, yeah. Well, that's how I met uh, Dave Duclon, the guy who hired oh, okay. me to be a writer. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, that was just uh, you know and and. Something happened, too. That was an interesting thing where I guess they liked what I was doing. They liked that I was bringing conflict into Punky's life. Right. And they were talking about spinning, spinning off. I've been done a couple of guest star sh shots where they were like, we're going to spin this off or we're going to make that person a regular on the show. 
I'd say I've had three examples of that. One was Punky Brewster, where Dave said, I'm going to do a new show. I'm going to have you and T.K. Carter okay. run, running an orphanage. Right. And so I was like, great. And then, I don't know, he couldn't sell it to the network or whatever. Um, so that went away. Another one where I, I did, John Mendoza had a show that I can't remember the name of it. It was not the John Mendoza show. It was called something else. And Miriam, and they were desperately trying to, like, how do we make this show work? Because we, you know, Seinfeld was on at the time, and, and John Mendoza was a hot comic at right. the time. And they brought me and Miriam Flynn on as these hateful neighbors. <laughs> and that was going to go. And then the final one was there was a show on in the 70s called That's My Mama. Okay. And with Teresa Merritt. And it was, you know, uh, the guy from um, Ted Lange, the guy from uh, The Love Boat. Boat. Right. <clears throat> he was on it and a guy named Teddy Wilson. And, and so they were going to bring this back. And, and that was in the uh, days of uh, syndicated comedies were on. Right. Half, half hour syndicated comedy. So they're going to bring back That's My Mama. And it was like, that's still my mama or something. <laughs> right. <it's> called. <laughs> and they brought me in as a guest star as this private eye. It was pretty fun character. And the character was going so well during the week. During the week, they made me a series regular and upped what I was being paid for the week. And then, like a week later, the, the show, anyway, I was excited. Like, oh, okay, this show will go, and I'll be the white guy on a, on a funny black show, right. which can, is not a bad thing. <clears throat> and um, anyway, the show never got picked up. So oh, that's okay. happened a few times where they liked my character. Right, yeah. Were you like um, surprised? Like I know because every successful show, like seemed like in the eighties or nineties, had spinoffs. Now, were you surprised that Seinfeld didn't? Uh, knowing, and I don't know him, right? But seeing Larry David in action, and also knowing how hard those guys worked, um, and I know it just from like on a much smaller scale, you know, doing Son of the Beach or Nightstand where you are the star of the show and you're also, you know, the co-creator. So you're up in the writer's room. So you're constantly walking back from the stage or in the case of Son of the Beach, you know, you're on the phone, you know, it, it's, it's really hard. It's right. easier now because of technology, you know, like, Here's an example. Like when I was doing some of the beach with Howard Stern, like today it would be so much easier because I could literally pick up a, I could take my iPhone, I could, you know, put it on FaceTime right. and say, Howard, here's the scene. What do you think? Right. As opposed to either not being able to get him on the phone because he's doing the show or, you know, he goes to bed early, so if it's if we're still shooting and it's five o'clock in the evening and it's he's in bed, you know, it's just like as opposed to being able like you can direct television now from your home. I mean, it's not going to be as good, but you can do it. Right, right. And so, you know, back then I could see those guys wanting nothing to do with a spinoff. Also, and no offense to the guys who 
took over Seinfeld after Larry David left. Eh, come on, you know. <laughs> right. And, and part of that is because they did 238 episodes or whatever they did. As You know, it's a little different. You know, like today's television, it's just not as hard to do. You're doing 10 episodes as opposed to right. 30 episodes. Yeah. It's just not the quality. So anyway, and the last thing is just like knowing Larry David a little bit, he's very hands-on. Why? And that's a good thing because that show Curb is so great. Yeah. So it's a good thing that he's hands on and he's not going to turn that over to somebody else and say, you know, take it. I think I get the feeling he was just so burnt out after five years or whatever he Fine, did, right. six, seven years. I mean, on the Curb, I had to sort of explain to run through because somebody said, the director, Jeff Schaefer, also a really nice guy, said, uh, said, Larry, remember the episode Tim did of Seinfeld? And Larry's like, which one? And I said, yeah. the glasses. And he's, well, what's the glasses? Right. And I sort of <laughs> reminded him. And then it all came back to him. Yeah. laughing and and and. But, you know, you do that many episodes, it's, it all blurs together. So Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's hard for him to remember every single detail it's between that and Curve. I mean, I, I totally get that. Absolutely. But um, you mentioned Parker Lewis and I, I had, you know, your TV son, Corin on. Uh, uh-huh. He's great. Great. Yeah. yeah he, he was he's, so much he's fun. He's a good boy. Yeah. Good boy. You, you, you raised him well. Um, yeah. I, that show, I, I, I hate to use the term ahead of its time because it just means it got canceled early. But um, th- that show really was, you know, well done. It was right up my like I was pretty much Corin's age when the show debuted. So I really loved it. It's unfortunate that it got canceled when it did. But. Uh, how much fun, you mentioned a little bit how much fun was that show it was really fun it wasn't fun like um like that show i did reggie that was right. just like because because tim busfield and chip zion we would go to lunch every day yeah. and just laugh and mm. that was really fun um and also the the multicam shows tend to be a little bit more fun because you're acting with people you know you're you're blocking all week and you're rehearsing and you know where the single camera shows you like you're brought in for your stuff and then you do a scene and then you go home and and in the case of parker lewis don't get me wrong it was really fun um but you know it was a single camera show and also if you remember that show it was really a director's medium i mean the writers were great but they wrote Mm. for the camera Okay, right. And they wrote great jokes. Don't get me wrong. Clyde Phillips, Tom Straw, Lon Diamond, great guys and really, really funny stuff. But the director sort of like took charge of that show. Like all, if you remember all the crazy camera moves. Right, and, right, yeah. And, and so if you're acting in that, it's not like you may say like, you know, your line might be yes. And it's just... The camera is on your nose or on your Mm. mouth. You know, it's like that close of a shot where your job is to hold as perfectly still as you can and say the word yes. So the acting, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. um, You know, it's more you're performing for the camera. And, And but that got me wrong. It was really fun. I love those kids. They were all good kids. Um 
you know, Troy Slayton has gone on to become an attorney yeah. and, and, and Corin's still great. A Ben Ruby went on to ER. Right. And, uh, it was a really, really a nice set. I don't know why the show wasn't more successful. Had I been programming at Fox and nobody asked me to at the time, <laughs> yeah. um, I would have put that show after the Simpsons because I always thought it was a live action cartoon is what I always thought it was. Right. And, and apparently they tried it in a couple of markets and it did well, but then they never did it. I don't know. What can I say? Yeah. That said, that Sunday night lineup, if you remember back then was pretty good. You had a show called true colors, which was about an interracial marriage. Okay. You had Parker Lewis. Right. You then had In Living Color. Of course, yeah. Then Married with Children. Mm-hmm. And then I think... Maybe that came later. X-Files came later. There was yeah. some 9 o'clock show that was really good. Yeah, I think, um, X-Files, I think X-Files came like a couple years after Parker Lewis. Right. Yeah. There was some 9 o'clock show that was pretty good. Oh, wait, That's, uh, that's 20, a great TV lineup yeah, right there. I think it was 21 Jump Street, right? You're right. It was 21 yeah. Jump Street. Right. Yes. That's a great lineup of television. Yeah, it, it was. It, it was. It was really good. But was was Fox in all like markets back then, or is it still like? No, growing? I. You know what? I don't. I don't think they were in all markets, but I think they were in like eighty percent of the country. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's it's still. I think you can find the show. It's still on DVD. It's it's, it's still a lot of fun. But uh, some channels running it. Oh, I know. I think I read that Crackle is running it. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because they own. That's a Columbia now Sony owned show, and Sony owns Crackle. Right. Yeah, because yeah, Corin was telling me he had like a web show with uh, David Faustino from uh, Married with Children. What that was on yeah. Crackle, but yeah, and unfortunately, it's not on anymore. But uh, yeah, my favorite role of yours. Uh, one the one and only Dick Dietrich Nightstand. I watched so much of that when I was in college. It, the show was unbelievably funny. It's you can't find it anywhere, correct? Now, there's some somebody put some episodes on YouTube. On YouTube, right? Um, no, and it's one of those things where I just I sort of gave up. Like CBS owns it. I don't think they know that they own it. <laughs> right. At one point, we went to Comedy Central and talked about reviving it and we did like a little mini pilot but i was not allowed to refer to myself as dick dietrich and uh-huh. because that's viacom and even though they're owned i don't know right it, it, it it's it's literally in some maze of entertainment right that you know if you can find nightstand and i've done everything i could there was a guy who works in the sales department at cbs i think he sells internationally and he is really good friends with one of the guys i co-created the show with and even he just said i I, i've done everything i can like nobody's interested you know at some point may you know maybe yeah maybe if i'm you know I don't know if I do something, they'll put it back on. Right. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? They'll, yeah. It's just, I don't know. I don't understand it. 
So. Yeah, it's it's a shame because that show that show was absolutely brilliant. Um, At one point, the company and they're a really good company called Shout Factory. Right. Yes. They they did the DVDs for Son of the Beach, and they were very interested in doing the DVDs. This was back then when the the DVDs of Son of the Beach came out. Right. They were really interested in doing Nightstand and contacted CBS, and again, CBS had no interest. Wow, that's too bad. Really... Yeah, it is. It's and it's a show that I think would play better now you know than son of the beach first of all there are 96 episodes and secondly i think there's it's a little like son of the beach was don't get me wrong it was great Mm -hmm. i loved it i mean we were really you know howard stern right we were really like trying to push the envelope as much as we possibly could Mm -hmm. like every week it was a challenge to see what we could get away with where with nightstand that wasn't the the goal i mean we wanted a lot yeah but it was more about like spoofing talk shows and that whole world and and i think it would play pretty well now yeah i mean yeah because i mean there's there's still i mean not as many as there were back in the 90s but there's still a lot of daytime talk shows out there. yeah and people would get it and, and you see the comments you know like on YouTube and whatever, and people just the, the people who are fans, you could see it spreading again. The way things things move in a weird way on the internet, like you know, unless people spend a fortune in promotion, right. like I just read about another show. I'm gonna, I just I just heard about it, and other people were like, "Oh, I know that show," yeah. called like Lem Ready or something, some Canadian show. Okay, I just Googled it. And it looks really funny. Is that the name of it? Hold on. Because um, I just sent an email to somebody saying this looks good. Um, Letter Kenny, it's called. Okay. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. It looks really funny. It's shot in Canada. Right. But it's like, well, who heard of it? Well, you know what? It gets out in the ether and then people, you know, people talk about it and they find it. This right. show... Um, Again, I had heard about it. I finally tuned in. The show Dairy Girls on Netflix. Have you seen that? No, not yet. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. It's so funny. So well done. Right. Yeah. And See, again, so it's like yeah. eventually people find it. I, right. That's why I'm surprised nobody has picked yeah. up Night Sam. Right. Uh, yeah. Totally. You know, absolutely. But now it's like there's so many like different like venues for you know for content it's like so hard to like you mentioned two shows i've never heard of but they might be hysterical like there could be an avenue out there for nightstand you know and it's it's just unfortunate that cbs is you know not willing yeah yeah but um when, when you were like the whole like who, who was like the main like motivational like hosts for you when you're doing that shows or is it kind of like a com- combination of like Sally Jesse Raphael, Richard Bay, Jenny Jones? Like, what, did you well, like kind I, of focus on I one of them? I used to do Phil Donahue right. at the Groundlings. Okay. With um, Lynn Stewart, she played Doctor Ruth, okay. and we did it as an improv where right. basically people got to ask questions to Doctor Ruth, and 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 Lynn would be you know super dirty and and uh you know you must play with your katoras you know that kind of <laughs> yeah um you know, she was she she was really the star of that piece and it was really really funny so i used to do him and i don't know the guys 
I had worked with those guys, Paula Bader and Peter Tycho, who was their idea, and then they brought me in to develop the show. And I sort of just had the, you know, I, I sort of encompassed what I did with Donahue, a lot of the hand movement right. where when I was asking a question, I would point my whole hand. Like everything I was doing was really important, yeah. even though what I'm really about is trying to get another season of Night's You know, <laughs> like the way those people work. That right. Just, um, so there wasn't, you know, story-wise, we certainly emulated Springer and, you know, not Richard Bay because he was too gross, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Montel, the emotional right. side, you yeah. know, the crying and all that stuff. We always made fun of that. Um, so there wasn't a person. The one interesting thing that, that happened before Nightstand was I, again, I live in Santa Barbara and one day I was walking in town and there's Jonathan Winter. So I knew mm. lived here and I just, mm. you know, introduced, I said, hi, I'm just such a, and he starts talking, okay. which he would do. Right. I mean, he, he was a guy who were like, he would just talk and, you know, 85% of what he said was insane. <laughs> 5% was the funniest stuff you've mm. ever heard in your life. And 10% was just like brilliant. I mean, he was really, really legitimately brilliant. Right. So one of the things he said to me was, which I found so odd, was he said, you know, if I had to do one thing over, I would just do one thing. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you know, I do the characters and all that. He said, because I would have picked one thing and just done that. Hmm. And I thought it was so interesting that here's like, you know as funny a character guy has ever lived right and he's saying and i knew what he meant because when you're at the groundlings you're doing multiple characters all mm -hmm. the time and if you don't do saturday night live if you don't if you're not lucky enough to get on that show it's not really a payoff where look at lisa kudrow you know who's in the groundlings it did a bunch of little characters but she sort of found that one thing and it yeah. was on mad about you and right. then parlay that into there's a little bit of that character I'm mad about you on friends right one thing and so when nightstand came around i thought this is what i do best i do like the guy you know the guy this the, the third rate guy who dreams mm -hmm. of being second rate right <laughs> that's what i do best and I had done it in other characters, but never sort of like as myself. Yeah. You know, I did it. I had my big character, The Groundlings, was this Frank Sinatra impersonator named Guy D. Simone. I did a mm. HBO special with that character, which was great. My favorite character. But it's a character, you know, uh, and other characters like him at The Groundlings. You know, so after Parker Lewis, you know, which was sort of myself, I'm a dad kind of you know a little bit goofy you know i sort of took that and jonathan winters I said, this you know i can do this i can make this guy a lovable asshole and right yeah. you know, and it sort of worked yeah did you ever hear any feedback from any of the hosts yes yeah. when i was at the napty convention which is where we sold the show okay the second year after the show was on and a lot of people you know the show had good buzz right a lot of the talk show people would not meet me <laughs> Sally Jesse Raphael would not meet me. Right. 
Uh, Maury Povich was kind of cool. He walked up to him and he said, well, if it isn't Dick Dietrich, you know, <laughs> how are you going to make fun of me this year, Dick? You know, right. something like that. He was cool. The coolest of all was Jerry Springer. Of course. Who came on the show right, yes. two or three times. And he's the best. He is such a nice guy. He gets what he does. He just goes with it. He gives a fortune to charities right. and good causes. And, and he, he it's so ironic that the guy who was the, in quotes, most offensive yeah. is the one who said, like, hey, Tim, nice to meet you. Oh, my God, I'd love to be on your show. Right. Oh, that's, so, that's great. Yeah. Because I remember yeah. when, when his show first started out, it, it was like a, like a genuine talk show, more of like a Donahue type. Where, and yeah, then, they yeah. tell them all. I always say with those talk shows, when Phil Donahue put on the dress, right, it yeah. all changed. That's true. And and the one person who I've met once is Oprah. Okay. And I, when I met her, I didn't bring up Nightstand, even though I heard she was a fan, but okay. I didn't bring it up. I mean, it's Oprah. Right, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, but the one person who sort of stayed true to her calling was over you know the other ones they would do anything you know richard bay oh my yeah. god he had you know fat women in tights putting crack you know yeah loading their bottoms with eggs and then sitting on you know it's just like what yeah. you know that's anyway yeah so I, they all do it they do it to get ratings of course. And, and guess what they make a fortune right yeah, I mean, because look, look at Maury. I mean, he was... Yeah, look at Maury. Now he's all pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and they shoot all those shows in Stanford, Connecticut. Yes, they do. A, a guy, one of my best friends, uh, my best friend growing up was a guy named Clem Taylor. He passed away, but he went on to have a really successful career in news and won a Peabody at 60 Minutes. And anyway, he's really good friends with Maury Povich's nephew who directs all those shows and and okay in Stan in stanford right okay yeah. so um my name is earl I, I know you wrote for it but how um how did they convince you to portray that's a funny yourself? that's a yeah. funny story is that um well greg i had worked with right and, and we just stayed you know really good friends which doesn't happen a lot in show business you know you have sort of show business friends like you're really close while you're on the show and then you know but sometimes you make friends that that last through you know you just stay in touch and because you're friends so he and i were were friends and another guy named ralph green we all met on that show and then we just stayed friends um so when earl happened he showed me the pilot and i was just like Oh my God, this is unbelievable how good this show is. I, I call him Scooter. It's the whole thing. Right. It's just like, Scooter, this is unbelievable. And I just said, look, if, he, if there's an opening, he said, great, why don't you come work on the show? So uh, I started off three days a week, but would go in an extra day because I loved it so much uh, as a writer. And then, but what happened was, it was funny. Um, we were doing an episode of Earl where uh, it was a little girl beauty pageant that the character Joy had been in way back when. Right. And and so we needed, um, he said, he came and he said, uh, hey, we need a host at the beauty pageant. 
uh, I'm looking for kind of a B-list celebrity. <laughs> and I said, okay, okay, let me put my thinking cap on. Without missing a beat, he said, no, I'm thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay. So then what happened was I knew the pageant was there and, and I listened to a lot of like Sinatra kind of songs and, and I heard Vic Damone sing this <laughs> song called Little Girl. Right. And it's it's kind of like in the days of Jeffrey Epstein. It's a little weird. It's like, little girl, you're the one girl for me. It's like, little girl, like how little is she? That's right. kind of creepy. <laughs> so I played it for Gray and he said, oh, my God, that's hysterical. Let's do that. I said, OK, so let's play. Let's do this. I want to play me, Tim Stack, but I want to play Tim Stack as a drunk and a pedophile. <laughs> So he said, I love it. Right. And that's how, and eventually I just, then what happened was when we're the last three episodes of Son of the Beach, Lee Majors was on the show. Okay. And I was a big fan of the show, The Big Valley, when I was a kid. Okay. So we're talking about The Big Valley. He's telling me great stories about Barbara Stanwyck. And it's just like, oh my God, I get to hear stories about Barbara Stanwyck. And then he tells me that the guy who played uh, Nick on the show, Nick Barkley. His name was Peter Breck. On Saturdays, back when they were doing the Big Valley, like he would wear his Big Valley outfit on Saturdays when they weren't working. And he would drive up and down Ventura Boulevard in a convertible <laughs> and go to the bank or the hardware store. And he would wear his Big Valley outfit, like the black cowboy hat, the black neckerchief. Right. He was always in black. And people would go crazy. They'd oh my God, Nick Barkley, hey, and he would wave. And I thought it was so funny that that guy wore his his, his actual wardrobe oh, yeah. on a Saturday. So then I said to Greg, I said, can I wear, and they were owned by the same, some of the beach was owned by 20th Century Fox, which okay. owned Earl's, so we could do, I said, can I, how about if I wear my uniform, like my son of the beach uniform, like that's what I live in. And I live in this crappy town right. in Maryland where Earl was supposedly set and I live in the motel. And anyway, it sort of worked into a whole world of its own, but it was me, Tim Stack as this washed up drunk. Yeah. That, that's brilliant. You did, you did such it was a great really, job, yeah. really fun to do. I, I, one of my favorite episodes, I also co-wrote it, but it's a, it's, we do this cops episode <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm on stage singing a song from, uh, Oklahoma and, and fall off the stage. It's, right, just, yeah. it's one of my favorite bits from that show. One of my favorite acting moments for me is that episode. Right. Yeah, I remember I think one of the, the dancers came on stage and you're like, get the hell out of here, whore. And then you're just doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was brilliant. But Tim, this was great. Thank you for your time today. And yeah. uh, I look forward to your Kirby Enthusiasm episode. Yes, it's going to be fun. Yes, I got some other stuff going to working in the world of animation. So we can talk about that next time. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to have you on. There's so much more to talk about. Okay, great. Thanks, Noel. This is really fun. Thanks, Tim. Tim was great. We'll definitely get him on again. We have to talk about back to school and so much more. You can follow him on Twitter at TV's Tim Stack. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel19. Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud. It's also on Podbean. And go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com. 
for all your Lil My Youth merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, phone cases, onesies, whatever, it's there. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.